What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we have two guests on for you today, really good ones. First is June Lee, staff writer for ESPN. He's going to cover everything that's happened with this Astro sign-stealing scandal. We're going to talk about a little bit what it means for the league, whether or not it's maybe a good thing. Uh, and then we're going to have Hayden come on. We're going to recap the conference championships. Uh, but And then we're going to play a little guess the NBA player game. Not going to want to miss this episode. First interview with June Lee. We are now joined by June Lee, ESPN MLB writer. June, how are you doing? Good, Jonathan. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. You're technically now a reoccurring guest. So maybe if we get you on a couple more times, we'll get you that co-host spot or something like that. We'll have to upgrade upgrade your spot. Sure, sounds good. Busy time for for you, obviously covering the MLB. I mean, nor- normally this isn't something that happens, obviously. But what does a, a normal January look like for you at this point? I mean, January is a, a pretty slow time, and I, mean, I was talking to a lot of the Red Sox writers this week about uh, how their just off seasons were going, and uh, I don't think anyone expected to be uh, to be grinding uh, this this hard in terms of workload uh, in the middle of January. I mean, I was uh, I was in New York at the beginning of the week, and then the, the report dropped, and then uh, you know as soon as the uh, as soon as the scandal started unfolding, you know the the, the report from Rob Manfred and the commissioner's office came out that kind of detailed the uh, the allegations against the Houston Astros and, and what the investigation had found uh, in regards to sign stealing and uh, no, the <laughs> the the league basically found that uh, Houston was banging trash cans to help notify its players uh, on what pitches were coming and that Alex Cora the manager of the Red Sox was you know one of the the highest authority figures kind of guiding the entire uh, scheme and, and so uh, you know the fallout came really really quickly we saw Houston almost immediately fire uh, their general manager Jeff Lunau and and their manager AJ Hinch and then uh, the next day the Red Sox fired Alex Cora and so you know I, I personally headed to, to Boston to, to, to cover the the Red Sox portion of, of the scandal and uh, you know, from there on, it, it's just been kind of, you know, a lot of reaction, a lot of people from around baseball kind of figuring out what the hell happened and uh, how it affected them. And I think people are starting to now have the ramifications of, of everything that happened settle in and, and kind of think about, you know, what exactly this scheme uh, had in terms of an effect on the game. You know, we had players like you, Darvish, come out yesterday. Uh, or, or in the last couple of days, kind of questioning, you know, you know, he he had a, a bit of a meltdown against the Astros in the World Series in Game Three, and now he's questioning, you know, what did the Astros know already? And so, you know, all these integrity questions are starting to come into question about baseball, and uh, it, it's been a very interesting week in terms of just the national discourse around the sport, and uh, you know, this is the first scandal that baseball has had since uh, this the steroid era really was uh, in in high effect, you know. Baseball isn't normally in the national conversation in the middle of January, but but here we are. Yeah, I, that's one of my one of my questions I had. I wanted to ask you. Um, I mean, technically, like obviously, this the sign stealing is is bad for the league, but from a publicity standpoint, the fact that you know, like you said, you're busy during January, it seems like everybody, even people that are marginal baseball fans, are talking about it. Um, but uh, like obviously, it 
there has to be some good from it, right? Like what what what's your whole take on that? Yeah, so I was I was talking about this with a couple of my friends who who are in the industry, and uh, it was it was really interesting, just kind of you know. There, there isn't a lot of times, even the, during the course of the baseball season, until maybe the postseason, where you know baseball becomes a national talking point, and people are you know not talking about unwritten rules or bat flips or, or anything that you know might seem kind of uh, you know menial and small to, to debate and discuss. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about kind of the, the greater ethics and, and the issues and and morality of the sport, which I think is a very fascinating discussion. So, you know, at the end of the day people are talking about baseball and I think in the grand scheme, it's probably at least in small part, a good thing that the sport is getting, you know, having a, a, having a moment where people are talking about it and focusing on it, you know, on the flip side, as a fan, you know, it's definitely not great to see, uh, you know, you question the results on the field and and question everything uh, that happens behind the scenes, especially as, as MLB starts to uh, capitalize on its relationships with legalized sports gambling you know, with with all of that stuff happening, the league wants to ensure that the product on the field is is something that people can believe in. Uh, and so there's kind of two sides to this where, you know, from an ethical standpoint and just from an integrity standpoint, it is definitely a problem for Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, I think people are, uh, you know, or at least questioning the results on the field. But when you kind of consider the, the aftermath of the steroid era, you know, now we're in a place where, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are inching closer every single year, at least a little bit, to getting towards the Hall of Fame. And I think, you know, the the outrage around the steroid era has fallen a little bit. And as we've seen a, a lot more younger writers who kind of grew up on the steroid era uh, come into the baseball media space, I think the narrative around the steroid era has changed a little bit. So I'm very curious, you know, down the road when we, when we look back at the scandal, you know, how we're going to end up kind of recapping all of it and whether or not, you know, it was a net positive or a net negative for the sport, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. Yeah, no, that's actually a really interesting angle. I didn't even think about that. But I mean, the best thing I can think of is it's kind of like, um, you know, how WWE has their heels and like like that. That's kind of what it feels like. Like it's getting people to tune in. But yeah, for yeah, yeah, absolutely. it gives them it gives them someone to hate, basically. Um, yeah. So one question here, maybe for some of the listeners that aren't like big baseball fans, but why, like, why does, why is sign stealing? Why is it such a big deal? Like, you know, uh, why, why does it matter? Sure. I mean, sign stealing has always been a part of baseball. Uh, you know, since the dawn of time, I think, you know, competitive athletes are always going to try to find a way to get an advantage in one form or another. And so for a very long time before kind of the, the dawn of the era of technology, you know, that was kind of done the old fashioned way trying to, you know, see, see any movements from the pitchers that are tipping their pitches to figure out what's coming. Or if a guy's on second base peering in at the catcher and trying to decipher their, their signs and trying to communicate what's happening to the batter. But uh, I, I think the thing that differentiates what the Astros did uh, is that they utilize technology in a way that uh, I think is, is very clearly unethical, which is in live time, looking at a monitor of what the catcher's signs were and then communicating in real time that the pitch was coming. It wasn't, you know, our eyeballs that are, are looking into the catchers and, and trying to figure out what the signs are. You know, there was some rumors of, uh, you, you know, players using apps to help dis- decipher the signs. Uh, you know, there's 
there's a variety of, of, of things uh, of assistance that that uh, that technology I think has provided in terms of just making sign stealing easier. That I think baseball has been slow to adapt to over the course of the last five to ten years, and especially as instant replay has been integrated into the sport. I think there was a lot of unintended ramifications that have kind of come from then. So the league is now just trying to figure out and scramble how to react to the addition of technology in the game and how to integrate it in a way that, you know, makes an ethical, good product on the field and doesn't have fans questioning whether or not, you know, teams are using cameras and and getting an unfair advantage. Yeah, and in one of the articles you wrote for ESPN, you were talking about uh, how this scandal is kind of different from most in regard to um, what everyone was able to find out through the use of Twitter uh, and, and with different users looking at different spots where the Astros may have used uh, sign stealing or something like that. Do you just want to talk about that for a little bit, like how the how social media has affected uh, everyone's view basically on these the sign stealing scandal? Sure. Yeah. Uh, if I could, if you can indulge some some self promotion. Oh, a hundred percent. That we're yeah. we're all about I, it. Uh, I uh, I uh, posted a story on ESPN.com earlier this week about uh, how social media basically changed and 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 uh, according to a couple of these sources, you know, shaped the investigation uh, around the Houston Astros and, uh, and and their entire sign stealing scandal. And so, when the initial report came out from the Athletic, reported by uh, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick, you know, there was a there was a paragraph in the in the story about the trash can banging, and so. Uh, you know, John Boy has been someone in the internet baseball community that has risen to prominence over the course of the last year, uh, and uh, he he saw that paragraph in the story, and he basically went back into the MLB TV archives and tried to find a bunch of instances of it, and uh, was able to find them pretty quickly. And uh, as he posted a clip with kind of a voiceover and a an explanation uh, of of what the scandal was, and you know, the athletic was behind a paywall, and so it isn't wasn't necessarily. Uh, not everyone necessarily had had read the details of the piece, and so having it in an easy, easily consumable way through video in, that John Boy created kind of helped spread it like wildfire. And then over the course of the next couple of days, we saw more and more of these clips kind of emerge online on Twitter. And then slowly, you start to have players uh, players responding to all of it. And you know, baseball Twitter is not nearly as active as basketball Twitter and NBA Twitter is. And so to see all of these players start coming up and voicing their opinions on the scandal, uh, it felt like a very unique kind of turning point for the baseball Twitter and, and the internet. And I think the players kind of realized that the power that they had in voicing their opinion on the story, and it kind of kept pushing the narrative and, and kind of kept pressure on Major League Baseball to investigate into it and, uh, you know, from, from what I heard from league sources, you know, Major League Baseball was able to help gather a lot of that video information that, that was on Twitter and, and use it, uh, it within their investigation to, to nail the Astros. And so, uh, you know, there was kind of this avalanche effect where John Boy posted the initial video. And as all these videos came out, you saw even more and more internet reaction. All of that kind of placed pressure on Major League Baseball to, to figure out the best uh, way to... Uh, deal with with everything that was coming out yeah so great piece that you wrote i i checked it out a couple days ago you can find it on espn.com if you want to go more in depth into it but yeah i mean this is something like using social media and and twitter users basically helping an investigation into a sports scandal is i I mean pretty unheard of i would say uh yeah i mean it it was it was pretty interesting and and in the piece i basically wrote that it was uh 
base it was the most uniquely 21st century scandal for baseball because not only was Houston using technology in order to aid their cheating, but the the aftermath of a lot of it was was found on social media, and so the internet was played a fundamental role in kind of shaping the narrative around around the scandal. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for the the future documentary that's that's bound to come from it. Uh, you know, within the next five years or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what what happens next? I mean, obviously, you said players have voiced their opinion on this sort of thing. Mike Clevenger a couple of days ago said they shouldn't be able to look us in the face, but. Jose Altuve said they're winning. They're winning the World Series. Like, like we're we're getting very um, opposing views on this because, and obviously, people are speaking out on it. Um, so, what really happened? Are there more firings? Like, what what's the next move over these next few weeks for the MLB? Well, so we're still waiting on the investigation uh, into the Boston Red Sox. On you know, there was another report from the Athletic about how. Uh, the Red Sox allegedly used their video replay room to decipher signs uh, from opposing teams. And so we're still waiting on MLB's investigation into that. And so we'll see the results of that. Um, I, I was in Springfield this week in Springfield, Massachusetts, with uh, the Red Sox uh, with the, for their fan weekend. And uh, J.D. Martinez, uh, the designated hitter for the team, and you know, one of their big offensive catalysts, he went on the record and was basically like, I don't think that the investigation is going to find anything. I was in the locker room. He was very, very confident in a way that was uh, very interesting. And, and when uh, at the press conference where the Red Sox ownership announced the firing of, of or, or the mutual parting of ways, as they as they framed it, of, of Alex Cora, uh, they kept mentioning that fans should wait to hold out judgment. And so it, there's a lot of stuff coming from the Red Sox side kind of, pushing the idea that maybe that there won't be as much, you know, scandalous stuff as there was in the Astros investigation. So we'll kind of see and wait and see for the results of that. But I'm personally fascinated to see when spring training kicks off and once teams are playing the Astros regularly, how mm-hmm. they're going to react to that. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated with just the idea of, you know, how are teams going when, when teams play Houston for the first time this year, number one, how are they going to interact with those players? Uh, and number two, you know, how are they going to, uh, you know, give signs? How, how are the pitchers and the, and the catchers going to communicate their signs? Uh, I think there's so many different interesting layers, and, and there's going to be such an interesting aftermath because this is going to be a story for at least, at least the rest of this year, and, and we'll see kind of moving forward just because, you know, a lot of the, the players that were on that World Series winning team in Houston for in 2017 are still on the Astros today. And so... We'll kind of see what happens there, but uh, you know the reputations of lots of players have, have been definitely been tarnished over the course of the last couple of weeks, and uh, we'll see what kind of direct human effect that has uh, on the field uh, in the months to come. Yeah, and going back to the Alex Cora thing, I can see um, obviously where people may be raising suspicions with the Red Sox because you know Alex Cora was like you said one of the main catalysts for the Astros during that time, and then. You know, he obviously accepted a role within the Red Sox organization as manager. So I feel, I mean, it's safe to assume, obviously, uh, we don't know for sure till the report comes out, but you could see where people may make the assumption that Alex Cora may do something uh, to right. to cheat for sure. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a totally understandable assumption to, or, or place to land at. 
especially because the the Red Sox and the Astros, you know, won World Series is in back-to-back years, and Alex Cora is the common thread. And so I understand why people are skeptical of, of the Red Sox and, and everything that happened in 2018. Uh, but, you know, we'll wait to see what happens in the report and see what MLB finds. Yeah, definitely an interesting wrinkle um, in the whole MLB season. I'm with you, though. I'm excited to see uh, or interested to see how these teams and players will react to to the Astros. I, I mean, one thing's for sure, we can assume a whole lot of boos, obviously, right off the bat. Um, yeah, there's, I'm, I'm excited to see the uh, how, how fans get creative with their signs whenever the Astros come to town. Oh, that's that's actually really true. I didn't think about that. That's, uh, I mean, a lot to look forward to. Not not the best look for the Astros, but it could be uh, interesting, a good look for baseball. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you made an interesting point though, and I, I've thought about this too. And that baseball really hasn't had a hasn't had an enemy uh, in, in a very long time. You know, the I feel like the the late '90s Yankees were kind of the the last enemies of baseball. The last, mm-hmm. you know, the late '90s and early 2000s Yankees. And so, uh, I think it's undeniable that these Houston Astros and this this current group of players and this uh, you know mini dynasty that that they've created over the course of the last uh, you know sustainable. Uh, sustainable playoff team and just the you know the talent that they have there. I think it's uh, undeniably the enemies of baseball right now of this decade. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was listening to I forget who it was, uh, but somebody brought up a really good point. Uh, they were saying that the fact that it happened to the Astros is a really good thing because they're a team that's in place and they're um, you know they have they're set up they have a fan base they're pretty popular because they've been in the playoffs all these number of years um, and then. They, they were talking about how, you know, if it had happened to a team like the Mariners, and sorry for uh, my Mariner listeners, but people wouldn't, people wouldn't really care as much because not only are they not winning, but, uh, you know, they just don't have that presence. Do you think that uh, it, this Astros team, it does affect them because they are so big, not only because of the whole scandal? Um, I mean, it'll be interesting just to see how – that Astros fan base kind of reacts to all of this because like the there's been so much hostility on Twitter uh, and that was kind of another part of, of the online unfolding of the scandal is that Astros fans were kind of denying <laughs> throughout this entire thing. I mean, when uh, when John Blood posted all those initial videos, he got a lot of hate from a lot of Houston fans. And so I'm very curious to see how that dynamic continues to uh, emerge over the course of the next couple of months because Obviously, Astros fans are going to be inclined to defend their guys and uh, you know their favorite players, and they've obviously created so many uh, memories for for Astros fans. And so, I'm very curious to see how how all of this kind of shakes out over the course of the the next season. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, we'll we'll let you go, June. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate uh, you being able to break down the scandal and and talk a little baseball with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jonathan. Appreciate it. All right, what we're, is, we're uh, back. I thought, I thought oh, I no, no, because this is your this podcast. Is after, no, oh. no, no. This is after the June Lee interview. Oh, so thanks, June Lee, so for coming on. Really appreciate you yeah, being here. So I, I have to record the intro at a different time. So I can't do it right now. But so what is up, guys? We're basically like 20 minutes into the podcast right now. Oh, but you knew that. Only true champs. That's right. Um, so Hayden and I got a little distracted before we were about to record. Um, and we started looking at these, like, guess the player things. So it basically gives you. Um, the list of teams that he played for the years he was in the league and uh and then you have to basically guess oh that's jamal crawford isn't it that is jamal crawford um, i was gonna say this one's an easy one so yeah so so 2000 that one i guess 2000 one. to present bulls to knicks 
then to Warriors, then to Hawks, then to Blazers. When was I don't even remember Jamal Crawford with the Blazers. Do you? Mm-mm. Then to Clippers, Timberwolves, Suns. That's Jamal Crawford. That one's easy. Okay. Let's see. What do we got here? All right. Guess the player. 2007 to present. Okay. All right. You got started, started off with the Hornets. Okay. Then Hornets Orleans, to Suns. Hornets, Suns. Clippers. Then, Bucks. Wizards. Nets. Lakers currently. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, man, I'm really. The Lakers are confusing because they have a lot of guys that I don't think of. Uh, with the guy Nets, that just came from the Nets. This is really good content for a podcast. Yeah. Just 20 seconds of us, <laughs> of thinking. us thinking. Who is somebody who has played in the league for 13 years? What the heck? Well, if you look at the little cutout they have here, he's wearing a headband. Oh, true. Does that help us any? It's like, uh, who's another guy? What? It's not Rondo. Okay, let's just let's just get this over. Oh, oh Jonathan, oh. what have you done? Oh, goodness sakes. Lost it. <laughs> um, that is... Oh, Jared, Jared Dudley. Dudley. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, let's do one That's more of these because it's taking a lot more time. Okay, this person retired in... No, I just looked at who it was, actually, because I was like, okay, this one's going to be hard. So then I swiped. It was hard. Okay. Okay, this person retired in 2019. Okay. Okay, so they got a long list. Clippers to Heat, Oklahoma City, Washington, Hornets... Bucks, Wizards, Cleveland, Nets, Warriors. Oh, um, center, um, big guy. Andrew Bogut. No, because he played with oh, Dallas. Played 2005. Never mind. And he played with Dallas. Wait, Bogut was with Dallas, so it can't be him. Oh. Mm. Mm. And he just retired. Sean Livingston? No, mm. he didn't retire. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even have a guess. Oh, baby. It's sweet little Sean Livingston. It is Sean Livingston. I got it right. You retired? I guess so. Oh. Oh, uh, wow. Shout out to a legendary out to, career. I, Sean, Sean Livingston, Livingston is one of my favorite players ever. I, I'm sad that I didn't know he retired. I feel yeah. bad. Kind of awkward. Time. Shoot. Okay, let's do one more, and then we'll get into the rest of this stuff here. I got it right, though, technically. Yeah, you did. I didn't know he retired. That's so sad. Oh, he retired in September. Interesting. Huh. I must not have uh, cared. 2008 to present. All right. Oh, is this Bogut? Speaking of the man, no, maybe. I think so. No, is he with? No, because he's not in the league he right went now. To Milwaukee, he was drafted by mm-hmm. Milwaukee. Okay, so we got Wizards to Denver, Sixers, Mavs, Warriors, Lakers. Warriors to Lakers. Mavs huh? to Warriors. Javale McGee. Javale McGee. It has to be. What? It's not Javale McGee. Oh, it is Javale McGee. That's just oh, a weird picture a, of Javale. That doesn't even look weird. like Javale McGee. Oh, yeah. If you zoom in, it looks like him. Oh, yeah, yeah. It okay. just looks weird. Okay. Right, there we go. That was our intro. Maybe we'll play that game later if you guys don't hate. No, I'll edit it so that the pauses in between look shorter. So it actually looks like, you know. You we, guys, we, we got those we quick. Like really quick. So you guys. Oh, <laughs> Javan McGee. Yeah, 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 right away. Um, but, yeah, a lot <laughs> a lot has happened um, just this past day. Wow. Um, a lot has happened this past day. That's yeah, true. And. Hayden and I went to a Rex Orange County concert. That's true, we did. And so I didn't, I wasn't actually able to watch like a ton of the games. Like I kind of had it on my phone while we were driving. I was though, because I live in Portland. Yeah. So, so I didn't drive. So, I mean, I got a couple, I have a couple talking points from here, but. Um, I actually, if I'm honest, I didn't watch the second half of the Packers Niners game because. Because oh, you're coming out to. I, we saw, we saw oh, game. I drove out to dinner because I was just like, that game was out of hand first half was not fun to watch um raheem mostert however is this so i saw on instagram is is this a flash in the pan or is he like a legit i think it's both well he's He's a legitimate 
tool. Yeah, he's a, but he's a product of a system. But he's a product of a system. Like the fact that you've got. But he's good in that system. Like he's a good running back. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's like a James White type dude. Yeah, you know? exactly. And like that's the thing. The 49ers are so dangerous. Like we've been saying all year, they've got four running backs. Well, Tevin Coleman, I think, is a legit talent that would be good on a lot of teams. Well, Matt Breida is good too. Matt Breida like, would be good. On a lot of I think Mostert's the worst one in the backfield. For like, five, for like five to five to eight weeks or whatever, he was the one carrying. The yeah, team. he, was, like, he a was boss. He was the guy when they went down with injury. So I don't really know, um, but. I mean, anyway, San Francisco has proven that, like John loves to say, if you can get a nice front seven and a, a line that can run with a bunch of running backs, you don't need to throw the ball. Jimmy G, what did he throw? Six for eight, eight like yeah. seventy-six eight. yards, yes. something like that. Yeah, it was like sixty-four yards. I don't know. He did exactly what Tannehill did, but even less. Even less. Well, and his running back did even more. That's true. I've got which is insane. I had a tweet here. I'm trying to see if I how can... many yards per carry was most are averaging. Like it was. I think it was like eight. I think it was eight, yeah, because he Insane. had like he had like thirty for two twenty. So it was like I mean, his close. first five carries was like seventy six and two touchdowns or something. So here's an interesting thing I saw on um, on Twitter yesterday or today this morning. Uh, the highest average max speed of ball carriers on offensive plays in most the most quick. Season. No, no, no. This is total team. Oh, so what? Here's okay, the, here's the top Ravens. Line. So Ravens are five. Five. Okay, well, let me guess then. Okay, yeah. You Ravens guess. are five. Um. It's every oh uh Chiefs Chiefs are number one are number one okay um uh, let's go Seattle no Dallas Mm-mm. um who's a quick quarterback uh oh uh no not Texans are they on there well Will Fuller's quick no um <laughs> they're not like is San Francisco on there yeah San Francisco's number two two okay so there's two more teams yeah one of them made the playoffs the other was close. It was close. Indianapolis? Mm-mm. Um, Thanks for saying we were close to making the playoffs. Uh, feel good. Pittsburgh? Mm-mm. What in the world? I'm just going to say because these are a little surprising. Rams. The Rams? Yes, that one makes sense. And the Vikings. Vikings, really? Because mm-hmm. I would, you know, but they do have, like, their receiving cards quite. So this is interesting because every, like, everyone does it, in their Does it include everyone like, or just, like, just yes, ball it's, carriers? It's anyone that, that had the ball. Okay. Like, if they got out. But... Like everyone's trying to look. I can see why San Francisco's quick. Tight ends quick. Yeah, exactly. And all their. I mean, they run the ball a lot. They run the ball a lot. Um, Manuel Sanders is quick. Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel is quick. But it's like everyone's trying to find the formula of like, okay, what's gonna like? How how can I win? Like run fast. What's the solid? (laughs) Yeah, it turns out it's just running running faster than everybody else. Uh, Because four, all five teams have winning records. Three of these teams, four of these teams made it to the divisional round, and two of them are in the Super Bowl. The top two teams. The Um, top number one and number two. Yeah. Exactly. And in my opinion, number one's going to win the Super Bowl. Spoiler alert. Oh, whoa. Yeah, we're going to... So just to give you guys like kind of a breakdown of what's going to happen, this week we're not going to do Super Bowl preview because we need more time than what we have currently yeah, we have like to do that. 12 minutes. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't have a lot of time <laughs> right now. Um, but next week, because no one really cares about the Pro Bowl too much, we've got an interview. No, no, no one cares about the Pro Bowl. Well, Period. I, yeah, okay, that's true. No one cares about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Uh, hopefully we'll have an interview next week with an NFL prospect. And then paired with that, we're going to do our Super Bowl preview. Uh, oh, so we'll baby. save it until then. But let's get let's look at these games here. Let's take a peek at what we're rocking with. Uh, first game, it's crazy. My gut instinct in this game from initially was, okay, the Texans started fast and blew the Chiefs out of the water in the divisional round. There's no way the Chiefs start slow again. 
They started, but they did. They started slow again. They were down 17 to 7. It was the same. Well, it was the exact same thing as last week, though. Mm-hmm. They started slow, and then they just got rolling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Once they – yeah, because they – And – Yeah, they, they outscored This game just further 30. proves to me that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. Oh, 100%. It's not even close. Like, what, he, what he's been able to he, do. And look at the way he carried the ball as well. Yeah. Like, people are all over, you know, rushing quarterbacks right now. It's, you know, it's all the rave, John. Mm-hmm. But – Mahomes was efficient carrying the ball. He only carried it eight times for 53 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, and tack on 294 yards. QBR, 97.5. And three passing touchdowns. He was responsible for almost That's all their scores. Good. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Tannehill didn't do too bad, though. I have to give him credit. I mean, the Titans in general, like, no one no one really... Derrick Henry, they were able to stifle. They stifle, yeah. They Chris did what Jones, they needed. He had 19 carries for 69 yards and a touchdown. Chris Jones Chris Jones. There. I don't really on know. On third down. Yeah. Like, I... I think I, I don't think we've seen like the best of him. Like I don't think he's 100 percent healthy. But now he's got two weeks because it's like it's like a calf strain or something, and those are those are the worst. Like a, a yeah, they linger. Or a sprain because it's like you there's no way for it to the timetable is hard heal to and, yeah, and it, you don't know when you're going to be 100. percent But uh, he was in the game, did a pretty good job, and I mean the Chiefs going into it like they were the pick going into the year probably as everyone's Super Bowl favorite. Yeah, like before the season started. And, and here they are in the Super Bowl. Uh, the one team that was not a surprise, that was not everyone's Super Bowl pick going into the year, was the 49ers. 49ers. Well, or Green Bay. There were, I'm sure yeah. there were Aaron Rodgers lovers that were there, but Green Bay should not have been 13-3 and this year, and this game kind of proved that. Yeah. St- I mean, statistically, it was like like there was just no – no, there was no like positive signs as to why they should be like a 13-3 and team. The, the only thing that they had going for them was that Aaron Rodgers is incredibly accurate. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, and and what happened later on in the game, like, you're down 27 to 0. Like, the 20 points that they put up are, I mean, yeah, they're like, they're obviously needed to help, like, make it not look as bad as it was, but this game was not close. Like, they're. And we need to remember, Aaron Rodgers fumbled the ball three times. They only lost one of those, but the one that they lost was incredible. Like, that was the dagger. When he, when it was a botched snap, it went off his hands. Did you watch that? So so he's under center and the center starts moving like I forget right or left and and Aaron starts moving the other way and it just it gets lost in translation the ball goes down San Francisco jumps on top of it and that was like at I don't know 14 20 something that basically put the nail in the coffin uh, in terms of the first half uh, putting Green Bay in a position at halftime in which they were in very low percentage uh, chances of coming back in the game. Green Bay got no running game going, uh, and Aaron Rodgers was accurate, but he was also getting sacked for big losses in crucial times. He got sacked three times for 30 yards in the game. I think two of those came on third down, and his QBR of 22.3 is, uh, despite having a 31 of 39 uh, completion percentage, I mean, that's... I mean, but five, yeah, I think five, not a bad five game. potential turnovers. Three yes. fumbles, two picks. Two picks one loss. and one lost fumble. Okay, I sorry, I was trying to find this statistic here, and now I've got it. So in conference championship games, uh, Aaron Rodgers, fans of Aaron Rodgers, like cover your ears. You're not going to want to hear this one. He's now one and four in conference championship games. His only victory was in 2010 when Green Bay Packers played the Chicago Bears, and in that game. Let me see if I can find it. Wow. Well, Somebody is come up. outside. 
They gave the ball to Mostert 29 times. I'm looking at. Here we go. Oh my goodness. The, the only the only reason they won that game they won 24 to 21 14. Jay Cutler went out with an injury in the first half, and Caleb Haney had to fill in for the rest of the game. It's tough when you lose Jay Cutler. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's tougher it, when you have to start Caleb Haney. <laughs> so that's the only. They obviously went on to win the Super Bowl, but that's the only conference championship game he's won. I, I mean. We'll have to talk is about this, some, this more. Is this an Aaron Rodgers problem? Is this a team problem? Like, what's going on? I mean, they've they've had talent around them. Like, whether they've you know wasted it because I mean, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, like those were his guys. Because what was it? Two years ago was when we started saying, "Oh, Aaron Rodgers needs help." But I feel like he's he's had pretty good players Here's, around him. Well, for the first time in his career this year, he had a production-wise elite running back. Mm-hmm. He's never had that before. He, he's usually had the the weight of the game on his shoulders, passing wise, which has been but fine. Most, but most quarterbacks, like most top level quarterbacks, don't like have. Yeah, well, it's stuff. like half and half. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you know, they don't not not because Patrick Mahomes doesn't have an elite. No, back. he doesn't need one. Peyton Manning for half of his career had Edron James, who I would say is elite. But the the other half, he had Donald Donald Brown. Joseph would die, like yeah. I mean, you see, it, there's different types of offenses. It depends how pass heavy you're going to be. Like even, and then you had those hybrid offenses, like the Steelers from you know a couple of years ago. You got Ben Roethlisberger, who was elite at the time, mm-hmm. with you know a variety of offensive weapons at receiver, but also Le'Veon Bell, yeah. who's a pass catching back. So there's that kind of thing too, which. Aaron Jones is not as much of a pass catching back. He's not a bad pass blocker, but anyway, it's kind of been a different scenario for Aaron Rodgers this year. Um, but speaking of quarterbacks with uh, a rushing attack, just going back into Jimmy Garoppolo, um, people are trashing on Jimmy Garoppolo, saying that he's no good, very bad, John. Hmm. People are people are um, on Twitter making fun of his stat line. I've seen screenshots of it a couple times because he went six for eight for 77 yards. But can you fault him for this? I mean, when you're hitting the ball to Raheem Mostert 29 times for 220 yards and four touches, like, is it is it are they trying to hide Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco, or is Jimmy Garoppolo just working with the game script and oh, I guess we don't have to throw today? Like, what is it? See, I feel like I feel like everyone who's making fun of him on Twitter is missing the big picture. The big picture is not that Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball eight times in the conference championship. It's the fact that he they, only had to throw he, the ball. He, he threw the ball eight times, and yet the Packers still couldn't stop the run. Like there was no, there was no passing There was threat. no like that. This is where uh, teams get into trouble. I've heard like interviews with coaches talking about it all the time. They think that like you have to in order to establish a run or establish you, a pass, you, you need have to, to open it up. Yeah, like you. That doesn't mean like the Titans are a great example of that. The first two games of the playoffs, they were running over teams with Derrick Henry. And some coaches are saying, "All right, now that we're running, let's throw the ball." Um, no, you're opening yourself up. You're running. Let's run. Like if they're not, if they're going to let you get six yards of carry, statistically, if you get six yards per run, you're going to score a touchdown on every drive. Like, <laughs> wow, not that's run. good math, John. That's right. Well, and the thing is, like, even if if you're the Chiefs and somehow you can establish, I mean, their line's not, you know, they don't have San Francisco's line, but if somehow they can establish a run game and Damian Williams is averaging seven yards per carry all of a sudden, like. Does it, is it, it's not a bad game plan to have yeah. Patrick well, Mahomes and, sit and, back. Well, and just talking about the Chiefs running game, uh, they may not have an elite running back, but we've seen through the first two years of Mahomes' career that he just tosses a shovel pass to Tyreek Hill or Miko Hardman. That's, go. as good, that's as good as a handoff. They're, they'll, they're, they'll they're Tavon Austin-like tools. Yeah, exactly. But they can also play receiver. But they're also, yeah, <laughs> they're, like, they're like the best part of Tavon Austin yeah. mixed with like Plus receiver. receiver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, and that's the thing. Like, they if you can run, like you you gotta run, you know. And uh, credit to Mike Vrabel, credit to Kyle Shanahan for recognizing that fact because they easily and they had no problem. They could have easily thrown the ball 20, 25 times. And but, Mike Zimmer, and Mike throughout Zimmer. this well, year, but not in the not in not the, not in the playoffs. He didn't, but no, he did. Week the first week, the first week against the Saints, but against the uh, 49ers, they only ran the ball nine times. But he did recognize the same thing. That was his game plan. I don't know why he diverted from that game plan against the Niners. I guess it just oh, well, came to I a did, script issue. Plugged, yeah, plugged up. It but, is what it is. Because it was, I mean, it was a seven point game. Like if you think about it, the Vikings played the 49ers a heck of a lot closer than the Packers. Yeah, well, that's because the Packers are frauds. It was a seven. It was a seven point game, halfway through the third quarter. And then they then yeah. they blew it open. That's fine. But there it is. Uh, we just unpacked that for you like yeah. a like a Christmas gift so in shorter, January. Yeah, shorter episode this week, but next week uh, we're gonna do Super Bowl preview and I don't know what else actually at this point. We'll hopefully have an interview for you guys with an NFL prospect. But that's all we got. Sorry, we're we're on a crunch. We've got uh, things to do. But I'll we'll do some more research and we'll come up with oh, you know what? Let's find some good prop bets. Um, oh, that was fun last year. Yeah, so we'll find prop bets, moms, of, and more. Speaking of, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do. Wow. Oh, this is probably prop like bets, ready prop bets, moms, and more part two. Part two. This is probably like the one year of me coming on the pod. That's it's probably crazy. around yeah, it'll be this the week. One year anniversary. Wait, yes, it would be. Yeah, I think it is this Great. week. We'll have to do something. We'll have um, to do something. Oh yeah. By the way, speaking of prop bets, Hayden and I made a one dollar bet on who's gonna win, wear red in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I uh, I just beat John to saying who I wanted. I wanted the Niners because I feel like it's more iconic. Yeah, we both we both wanted the Niners. But I said it first. But he said it first. So now I fully believe the Chiefs are going to do it because I was telling Hayden, I can imagine them pulling up in their color rush all red. That'd be sauce. Imagine, okay, 49, okay, I don't know which team will do which, but imagine the Chiefs like in their color rush red, like just decked out head to toe and the 49ers in like a full white we kind of saw us very aesthetic super bowl very aesthetic all right guys thanks so much for listening uh, we'll see you next week